Hey, I'm Jesse. We're in the final chapter of Nehemiah. Here's Nehemiah chapter 13, verse one. At that time, the book of Moses was read publicly to the people. The command was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the Israelites with food and water. Instead, they hired Balaam against them to curse them. But our God turned the curse into a blessing. When they heard the law, they separated all those of mixed descent from Israel. Uh-oh, getting politically incorrect here. Now before this, the priests, Eliashib, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was a relative of Tobiah and had prepared a large room for him where they had previously stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, and the tents of grain, new wine and fresh oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, gate, uh, and gatekeepers, along with the contributions for the priests. Whole lot of stuff in just five verses. Let's unpack it. Let's talk about this. First of all, Deuteronomy 23 is where we get this command that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. That's, that's verse one. Okay, so they, they're reading from the book of Moses, and when they get to Deuteronomy 23, uh, to, uh, it seems like, oh, okay, hang on a second, time to kick some people out of the assembly. Let's go back and actually read what they read. Know that there's some who view Nehemiah as a eunuch because he was the cupbearer for the king, King Artaxerxes of Persia, and because he's in proximity to the, the king's wife at all times, although the, the word that is used to describe her as his wife doesn't carry with it the full extent of uh, a married woman. Because he was in her presence, Persian tradition suggests Nehemiah himself may have been a eunuch. That is relevant, and you'll know why in the very first verse of Deuteronomy 23. No man whose testicles have been crushed or whose penis has been cut off may enter the Lord's assembly. Welcome to Jesse Campbell Ministries. Like and subscribe. <laughs> no one of illegitimate birth may enter the Lord's assembly. None of his descendants, even to the 10th generation, may enter the Lord's assembly. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the Lord's assembly. See, this is the verse that was quoted. This is the verse that was read aloud to the people in Nehemiah chapter 13, and this is what causes them to start kicking people out. But continue with the text. None of their descendants, even to the 10th generation, may ever enter the Lord's assembly. This is because they did not meet you with food and water on the journey after you came out of Egypt. And because Balaam, son of Beor, uh, from Pethor and Aram Naharim, was hired to curse you, yet the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Remember the guy who, he was like the, he was like this crazy prophet for hire. And the enemies of Israel tried to hire him to curse Israel. But every time he would go to try to curse Israel, all he could do was bless Israel. That's Balaam. Now, Balaam's going to come back around. He's going to show up on the scene. He actually is going to do some damage to Israel because what he tells what he tells the enemies of Israel to do is like, hey, look, send some of these Moabite women in their midst. And then the, the men of Israel, they'll give in to lust and they'll sin sexually with this, these women and then that will corrupt them. So this is, this is Balaam. Yet the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but he turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Never pursue their welfare or prosperity as long as you live. Do not despise an Edomite because he is your brother. These are the descendants of Esau. 
Remember in Romans chapter 9, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Esau's name was interchangeable with the name Edom. Right? They're, they were twin brothers. And Esau was actually the older of the two, but just so that God's purpose in electing Israel might stand, it was preordained before the twins were even born, before they'd done anything right or wrong, that the older would serve the younger. Don't curse, don't despise an Edomite because he is your brother. Don't despise an Egyptian because you were a resident alien in his land. That's, that's hard to swallow, right? Because they were actually chattel slaves in Egypt. The children born to them in the third generation may enter the Lord's assembly. Verse eight seems to change things, doesn't it? And verse one, if you believe that Nehemiah is a eunuch, also seems to be like, yeah, you guys kind of skipped that verse, didn't you? Like if you're not allowing Moabites and Ammonites into the assembly, then Nehemiah shouldn't be allowed into the assembly if he is in fact a eunuch. Again, there's nothing in the text that indicates that. It's merely a Persian tradition. But wait, there's more. Isaiah is gonna weigh in on this. Isaiah chapter 56, verse three. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I am a dried up tree for the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. All right, this is another thing that's gonna come up in chapter 13. You're gonna see Nehemiah say, remember me, my God. This is another one of those passages that seems to suggest Nehemiah may have been a eunuch, as though he does not have anybody to carry on his family name. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. As for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, that's critical, that's interpretively critical right there. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to become his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, who hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the declaration of the Lord God, who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I will gather them uh, to uh, gather to them still others besides those already gathered. So Isaiah would come and would expound upon Deuteronomy. It, Nehemiah is acting to the letter of the law of Deuteronomy, but Isaiah would come along and especially if it is indeed true that Nehemiah was a eunuch, would, would expound upon this to make it very clear that eunuchs and foreigners alike will be brought in and welcomed into the assembly, particularly if they observed the Sabbath. Spoiler, later on in chapter 13, you're gonna see that there was a huge amount of corruption of the Sabbath day. Nehemiah has gone back to serving as the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, and now he gets word sometime later that things have gone awry. He comes back to Jerusalem and he sees that now you've got the Tyrians, those from Tyre who were fishermen, coming in and just like having a full-on marketplace right there on the Sabbath, buying and selling and everybody's working on the Sabbath. And so he shuts that down. This is also something that Isaiah points out as long as they adhere to this. That no Ammonite or Moabite would be allowed in the assembly is striking because there was a Moabitess in the genealogy that led to King David. So we already know, we already know that this ethnocentric nature of the covenant of God was not so ethnocentric after all. As Isaiah points out, it's those who serve the Lord. If you remember in the story of Ruth, there's this pivotal moment. In fact, at the very beginning, Ruth chapter one, verse 16 through 18, the most beautiful proclamation of loyalty in the history of literature. 
your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die and there be buried. May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. That's Ruth, a Moabitess. They worship Chemosh, you guys. They sacrifice children in fire. And now she's saying, your God is my God. So Ruth is now a part of the people of God. In fact, she is like the great grandmother. She's, like, she, she's actually, she actually is not even the great grandmother. She's, a, she's the grandmother to King David. I mean, wow. So King David, the one whose practices have been dusted off and brought back here, it, you do see a strong case that Nehemiah goes too far. What if these Ammonites and Ashdodites, what if these Moabites proclaim their loyalty to Yahweh and they carry out what Moses prescribed? Would they not be just like Ruth? I believe they would be. So here's where debate enters. Does Nehemiah go too far, being str stringent and being too dedicated to the letter of the law, kind of an early precursor to the Pharisees? And he may have kicked some people out who were Ammonites or Moabites who actually did meet Isaiah's standard in Isaiah chapter 56 because they love the Lord and they keep his Sabbath holy. Now this uh, verse two quotes what, what happened with Balaam where Balaam was hired to curse them but he could only bless them. And when they heard the law, they separated all those of mixed descent from Israel. This again comes from Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses three and six. But the original Hebrew of Deuteronomy 23 also suggests not ethnic mixtures. This is not about people who are of multiple ethnicities simultaneously. Remember, Moses had an Ethiopian wife. God is totally okay with interracial marriage. What Deuteronomy 23 speaks against is the kind of marriages and unions that came from incest as cataloged in Leviticus 18. That is what Deuteronomy 23 prescribed. I don't believe that Nehemiah 13 describes people who are of mixed ethnicities being kicked out. I think that it's probably enacting Deuteronomy 23, which is about those who were conceived illegitimately, not meaning children out of wedlock, but children conceived through acts of incest, for example. Now, verse four. Now, before this, Eliashib had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was a relative of Tobiah. So Tobiah has these rooms where the, the purpose of these things was to store grain offerings. Frankincense, that one obviously holds a special place in Christians' hearts because that's one of the things that was offered. That was one of the gifts that was given to baby Jesus or, or three-year-old Jesus. Uh, and articles in the tents of grain, new wine and fresh oil prescribed for the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers, along with the contributions for the priests. Tobiah, the same guy who this entire story has been trying to sop and sabotage the construction, keep the Israelites from coming in. He's been threatening Nehemiah's life. He practically, he practically declared war on the whole effort. And now he's taken one of the rooms in the temple for himself. And this means that the priests are not being provided for. The Levites, the gatekeepers, the, the, the singers of songs are not being provided for. And it's all because Tobiah's like, nope, this is my room. I live here now. And he was working against this project. It's so shocking. I mean, the gall of this guy, but what's so funny is that I've told you guys about a, a similar pastor who is our own Tobiah in the story of the Redemption Church. He was in our initial startup meeting and he was asking questions just to sabotage us, making commitments of financial gifts just to throw our budget off. And he also nominated himself as an elder of the Redemption Church. So we have our own Tobiah <laughs> who did everything he could to stop us from starting and then also now wants to kind of uh, be included in the historical record with us. 
This, this was laughable. This was absolutely laughable. And just wait till tomorrow when we look at the text to see how Nehemiah responds. This is where, man, like I, like I warned you about in our last devotion, uh, things don't go so perfectly. I don't believe that, I don't believe that Deuteronomy 23 is rightly applied here. Uh, I think that they're, they're dusting off the practices of David and David would have defended his own ancestor, uh, Ruth, as a Moabitist who is rightly welcomed into the assembly of God. The, this is where things are going to get a little bit crazy. So as we continue, see if you believe that Nehemiah may have been a eunuch after all, based on how he prays. See as, as well if you think Nehemiah goes too far, trying to enforce the letter of the law and not in, not in, in uh, accordance with the law's intent. This is a big debate, but there's a lesson to be learned. I'll see you tomorrow.